were three major earthquakes and aftershocks in December 16th, 1811, and January 23rd, 1812, and February 7th, 1812. Magnitude 7.2 to 8.2 on December 16th. And then you had in range of 7.0 to 8.6 in January 23rd and February 7th of 1812. And this is not too far from where I grew up in the Midwest. It's not too far from St. Louis. It's not too far from Memphis. And today they say that if you were to experience this fault line having an earthquake again, it's very possible that the entire city of Memphis could disappear. In 1811 and 1812, you had strange things going on, severe landslides, uh, severe ground warping, fissuring, uh, caving of stream banks, and you had the Mississippi even reversing its flow from what I've read. You had waterfalls temporarily created at Kentucky Bend, and it caused the formation of Real Foot Lake, Wikipedia says, by obstructing streams in what is now Lake County, Tennessee. So you had some intense moments in the holiday season in December and January of 1811 and 1812, and even in February of 1812. And I'm using this intensity to think about the intensity <clears throat> that is caused in Jesus entering Jerusalem because there seems to be an earthquake that is about to happen. And we often um, characterize Jesus' uh, trip to the cross, his entry into Jerusalem, into the den of thieves, which is really a safe house for thieves, the temple authorities, and the Roman, what is called sometimes the Roman condominium, the Roman power at the time, Pilate, overwatching the events, uh, trying to stabilize the area. We're going to be talking about Jesus' entry into that and how it's almost like Jesus is trying to cause an earthquake and it seems like that he is. And the crowds that follow him kind of shield him from being arrested at the time. But we're going to talk about that in the Lighthouse podcast for today. I'm Ty Nickel. Welcome back to another episode of the Lighthouse podcast a podcast put forth by the Greenville Church of Christ, and my name is Ty Nickel. I'm the preaching minister for the Greenville Church of Christ, and we're talking about Mark 12, Mark 11 and 12 actually, and Jesus coming into Jerusalem, demonstrating, and I reminisced about this reading that I had about the New Madrid fault line and the earthquake of 1811 and 1812 that was incredible compared to what we would think of maybe in the San Andreas fault line in California. 
and how the entire city could be uh, of Memphis could be could disappear if there was another uh, happening another earthquake along the new Madrid fault line and that would be completely shocking but that's what made me think of Jesus uh, entry into Jerusalem and how the prediction of Jerusalem being destroyed uh, more or less the temple and the city being destroyed by Rome and what is going to begin maybe some quaking because of what Jesus is about to do in Jerusalem. Uh, his demonstration, of course, leading to his death. And so <clears throat> what we need to do is look at uh, several aspects of this which cannot be explored quickly. But we're going to begin in Mark chapter 11, and we're going to find that this quaking or this um, rift is going to begin appearing because of what Jesus is portraying himself to be. Now, the, the Jews did expect a greater Moses. Uh, we read from Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15 and following that they expected uh, this prophet like Moses to eventually appear in their, their history after Moses' death. Uh, they expected a greater David, uh, one who would be like Moses, but also be a king. And we see that uh, Jesus doesn't meet those expectations necessarily um, when we see Mark pointing out in his gospel in eight, uh, chapter 8, 27 through 30, where you're going to have the case of Peter and the disciples basically telling Jesus uh, you've got the wrong idea about what is going to happen to be or what your fate is going to be when Jesus begins predicting his death. So you have this idea that Jesus has been planting in their minds that he, even though he is going to be their heroic uh, national figure and would uh, be expected to become an international hero uh, through perhaps military might as they many of them did expect. Not all, but uh, the Essenes may not have thought that. Uh, there was others that may have followed that line of reasoning that they were to retreat and become a new temple, uh, something that God would have desired, but uh, many of them expected a David-like figure to rescue them uh, and this comes from Luke's Gospel as well, how we see the expectation of the consolation of Israel uh, being talked about at Jesus' birth and his circumcision. So here we have another one of those scenarios in Mark chapter 11, where uh, we have a passage about the parade, or the triumphal entry, uh, which is seems to be <clears throat> anything but triumphal. It seems to be anticlimactic. Uh, it seems to be perhaps a mockery of power. Whereas uh, we have also John Dominic Crisson 
and uh, Marcus J. Borg have talked about in their book, uh, The Last Week uh, of Jesus' Life, uh, which is interestingly talked about in, in comparison with Mel Gibson's The Passion, uh, maybe a response to what Christians believe uh, the story of the last week was all about, or perhaps even greater, what the story of Jesus' mission was all about. So you have a portrayal in Mel Gibson's The Passion, which is coming from uh, a, a point of view uh, that is quite unlike most of our point of view, it seems like, where there was something happening with Jesus and his uh, crucifixion and uh, his suffering meaning, that's what the passion meaning, I believe it has something to do with the idea of uh, Jesus' motivation was the cross and that meaning that the passion or the, the, the idea of suffering is synonymous with passion in language and we have Jesus looking forward to that but not in a not in a giddy way of course but you have this very earthquake like story about to happen in scripture and we see a an anticlimactic uh, entry a, a triumphal entry which is supposed to be on a donkey and then a female donkey, it looks like, is being tied to Jesus' donkey. So you have what seems like the very opposite of what maybe Pilate came into the a, a different gate. Uh, Croissant and Borg say that they actually came in at the same time. That they're they taking maybe taking poetic license to say that that's a very possible thing because of the timing of Jesus' demonstration. So we have this picture that we're trying to develop of Jesus coming in to the uh, city of Jerusalem and the temple mount, a um, compound, where you have two entries, one by the, of Pilate, which he would have come on horseback, it seems like, with uh, his soldiers, and that would have been very intimidating. And then Jesus coming in on something very uh, the opposite, on a donkey and then a female donkey, something that would have looked like a pacifist demonstration. Mark is recording for us in, in chapter 11, 1 through 11, one of those scenarios where it looks like uh, Mark chapter 8, where Peter confronts Jesus about his prediction of being handed over to the chief, chief priests, scribes, and elders in Jerusalem uh, to be arrested. Uh, that's not the, the way the story of the Messiah is supposed to go in their minds. The Messiah is not supposed to be arrested. He's supposed to be victorious. So why don't we read Mark chapter 11, uh, 1 through 11. We'll do something that um, is unusual, and that is basically just read 
the text. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. In verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage, or Bethphage, and Bethany, which means house of the poor, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat yet. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he'll send it back here. Um, they, verse 4, they went away and found a colt tied at the door, outside, in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission to untie it. They brought the colt to Jesus, and they put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. So this is a very strange uh, beginning uh, to this passage uh, here in chapter 11. These are some very uh, unique details that Mark seems to be giving us about the untying of the cult and the reason for why Jesus is doing this at all. Uh, and so you have this very unusual demonstration. Of course, this is something that we may uh, think of being prophetic and so that solidifies it for us we're thinking well this was a prophecy that's what was that's what had to happen that's it and we bypass the imagery and uh, forget about it and so we don't even think of one of these scenarios as having anything significant to happen other than adding maybe color to the text but remember uh, this is one of those passages that we're going to be learning about uh, today. So uh, the parade that is about ready to happen is certainly anticlimactic with having a colt <clears throat> instead of a war horse maybe like Pilate came into Jerusalem on. And so Jesus draws near uh, to Jerusalem with uh, what a great crowd is in chapter 10 verse 46. There are several things that I think that we fail to ask because we know the end of the story perhaps with Jesus. But here in Mark chapter 11 verses 1 through 11, uh, maybe some other questions are in the mind of the original readers or 
historically uh, there are questions in the mind of those watching this happen where Jesus enters Jerusalem because uh, much of Jerusalem is seems to be buzzing with different kinds of anticipation and uh, there's gonna gonna be a lot of you know things going on and riots are definitely possible because it has happened in the past. It, it is a hot spot, Jerusalem is. And so maybe some of the questions going through the minds of people as they see Jesus entering Jerusalem at that time would be that is he going to declare sovereignty um, right then and there uh, once he enters into the temple? And, you know, for modern readers, why in the world is he entering the temple to do this? Why can't he declare sovereignty somewhere else? So that's a question we need to address, perhaps in the future a little bit. But uh, will there be a fight between the crowds and the Sanhedrin? Um, This is an idea that we have that just begins to precipitate other questions. Um, here we have um, Jesus entering Jerusalem unarmed, uh, but the situation is still very earthquakey. It's very dangerous. And then in verse 11, you have something strange to, to my eyes. Uh, nothing happens. It says he looked around, uh, but because it was late, he leaves. So I want to talk about that just uh, in a few seconds, but here you have, before he enters the temple, uh, you have this idea, many are crying out, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So would this evoke images uh, in, in the Jewish mind to other biblical precedents, perhaps, um, the cult or the donkey signifying a triumphant Judah. Where, where in the world does that come from? Well, um, Genesis chapter 49. As Jacob is speaking about each of the tribes, uh, his sons and the tribes and the nature of them, it seems like he is talking in verse 11 about, and this is, I'm just going to read it verbatim, he ties his foal, which I believe is a donkey, um, to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. So this is interesting because verse 10 is the key verse in Genesis 49 about Judah being the um, royal tribe and of course Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah so the scepter shall not depart from Judah ver- Judah verse 10 says nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples and then he begins in verse 11 talking about the the foal and his donkey's colt so just that image 
would have been something perhaps very significant uh, in the idea of the tribe of Judah, a kingly, a royal tribe, uh, making progress in the sense of Jesus being king. So here you have, I think in Psalm 118, verse 25 and following, you have a royal processional hymn. You have some other verses that perhaps uh, others have alluded to, the return of the ark to Israel in 1 Samuel 6, and uh, the declaration of Jehu as upstart king in 2 Kings 9, verse 13. Those are some other references that uh, scholars have made. But, and the fact that the parade began near the Mount of Olives. Uh, Some are saying would have brought to mind the final apocalyptic battle between Israel and its enemies, spoken of by Zechariah in Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 5. So, Uh, Luke chapter 1 speaks about Jesus being the one who will be given the throne of his father David. And this is the Jesus that they're all looking at and thinking, what is he going to do? They know that the um, situation is tense and that there could be a huge schism or an earthquake uh, about ready to happen but they believe perhaps that they're going to be victorious in it and so they're ready for it so um, now we'll turn to the idea of Jesus uh, talking about uh, or, or Mark rather talking about Jesus looking around verse 11 it says he entered Jerusalem Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany uh, with the twelve since it was already late. Now, um, John Dominic Crisson will talk about the idea of the fact that uh, you don't want to start a demonstration late in the evening because that's uh, a sign of, for the Jews, sign of a new day. The sign of, even though that might be a parallel, but that's not happened here. You have, uh, if you want to do something, uh, Krasan says, then you do it in the morning hours or when everyone can see it, not when it's late. So why in the world would Mark perhaps enter, uh, verse 11, like this, Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple, and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany, since it was already late. Well, uh, from what I have gathered from uh, studies, you have these ideas about the word looking around. So it kind of brings to maybe my mind the idea that he's going into, say, a shopping mall, and he's shopping. And because it was late, then he just <laughs> departs or leaves. But the idea um, could also be something maybe that incensed Jesus. Maybe he's planning. Maybe he's getting um, ready to plan his demonstration uh, by looking around. Maybe he sees uh, more things there that have 
uh, made him furious or upset him because the word is in Greek it's it's perivlepsaminos uh, and um, if you know any Greek which I doubt that most of us do and not even I know that uh, much Greek uh, you have the idea of vlepo meaning uh, to look so if um, someone asks you if you're looking in Greek if you're looking at a photograph they'll be uh, they'll say tivlepis and you'll say mi vlepo mi vlepo mia fotografia so meaning the idea that I'm looking at a photograph uh, peri has the idea of around to look around so perivlepsimenos is the root word there and it gives me the impression that he is um, planning his cleansing or his demonstration in the temple so you have these uh, interesting things here because it says that uh, in verse 15 then he came to Jerusalem after this is the after the episode of 12 through 14 about the fig tree and he entered the temple again and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves and he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple and he goes on so what we have here already in this episode is the commencement of something huge and that's why I thought of it as something shocking so much as an earthquake uh, along the New Madrid fault line because what we have here is Jesus coming into a den of thieves as he's about to say uh, but first we need to go through verses 12 through 14 and perhaps a couple more 20 and 21 and, and talk about the idea of the fig tree. So let me begin reading verses 12 through 14 in Mark chapter 11 and then also 20 and 21 which correspond it seems to it because Mark seems to sandwich these stories uh, in between one another and here we have in 12 through 14 it says on the next day when they had left Bethany he became hungry referring to Jesus and seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it and when he came to it he found nothing but leaves uh, for it was not the season for figs and he said to it may no one ever eat fruit from you again and his disciples were listening so verse 21 that was uh, the, that was the first of all this was the next day when they had are when they had left Bethany remember they returned uh, for Bethany after leaving the temple but on the next day when they left Bethany he be and so he saw the fig tree in the distance and then verse 21 uh, 20 and 21 as they were passing by in the morning 
they saw the fig tree withered up from the roots. And um, being remi- reminded, Peter said to him, uh, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. So you have this uh, strange idea about this fig tree. And um, it's being used symbolically, obviously, and the tree represents the corruption of the nation, uh, sourcing from the temple leadership. So again, you have this um, scene being set up about the temple being a den of robbers or thieves. And Mark's readers would have uh, easily seen the parallel and um, they would have seen the symbolism referring back to Jeremiah 8, uh, Isaiah 28, Hosea 9, uh, Micah 7, Joel uh, chapter 1. Uh, Jesus' visit to this temple is summarized in this episode, and he comes to the temple expecting to find fruit, and he finds uh, nothing. So the symbolism of the... Um, fig tree not having figs is obviously representing the temple and the city. So he curses it. And you uh, think about Mark chapter 13 where we begin hearing about the uh, destruction of Jerusalem, the, the forecasting of it. And so Mark chapter 13 verses 28 through 32 confirms this uh, where Jesus uses the lesson of the fig tree. So let me turn to Mark 13, and we're going to again look and read chapter 28 through 32. I mean, uh, verses 28 through 32. He says, Now learn from the parable of the fig tree, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. So there's a there's a prediction which that's a very controversial passage there. But it's referring to the destruction of the temple and the city. And so that's something we will have to discuss at a later time because it's it's a again a much bigger story. And so we have this idea that the world that comes to an end is this political world of the Jews. In other words, the, the Jewish uh, Jewish mindset is 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 hearing not what they what they expect. Um, Jesus forecast the destruction of the temple uh, in John chapter two, but he said he was predicting his death and resurrection. So we leave that alone and think, yeah, we know about the resurrection, but now, that ain't got anything to do with the temple, maybe, but the fact that Jesus' body is the temple, the new temple that God is raising. He's making a new man, um, and then his followers will, will will become part of that temple, living stones. Peter will say, um, "You're going to you're going to see that imagery." So the fig tree 
in verses 12 through 14, obviously, have something very significant to do with the replacement of the corrupt temple. So you have a lot of this imagery that Mark is giving us. And in the next episode, uh, we're going to begin talking about the remaining verses of uh, 15 through 19, especially with the cleansing of the temple. But again, this this is a huge earthquake that is about ready to happen uh, in my mind. And you see Jesus entering and uh, John Dominic Crisan and Marcus J. Borg in their book last week, meaning referencing Jesus last week of his life, are thinking about and perhaps dramatizing, I'll have to um, investigate, they're they're imagining two uh, entries into the temple or into the city at that time uh, at different gates, of course, where Pilate is riding his war horse uh, or the horse that he would have needed for um, being identified as their governor of uh, Idumea, uh, Samaria, and Judea. And then you have Jesus who is doing something very anticlimactic, but is it's called the triumphal entry. So it doesn't seem like he's going to be um, triumphant at all in that sense. In the, but, so it's, it, it could be mockery, some have said. And so what we're doing is we're trying to get a, a, a grasp of what's going on in these episodes that uh, Jesus is doing as he enters into the uh, temple and the city before he's arrested. And it, the tension seems to escalate because of exactly what this is all about. You're going to see uh, the contrast of kingdoms. Um, they're going to see each other face to face, Pilate and Jesus, and that's why John chapter 19 is so compelling where you have the discussion between Jesus and Pilate and you have discussion about kingdom uh, meaning sovereignty and you have designations about who each one of them is and what kind of power each one of them actually possesses. So for today um, the New Madrid earthquake is something that always comes to mind and to uh, see the tension heightened as Jesus enters into Jerusalem is certainly something that is compelling. So we need to continue on in Mark chapter 11. Thanks for joining today. And as always, if you have questions, uh, you're able to contact us. I will be providing links. My name is Ty Nickel, and this is Lighthouse Podcast. <laughs>